Welcome to Acro Capital's in-house podcast, where we have guests in startup scene from all over Africa. As Acro is an early-stage startup accelerator, we focus on the early-stage ecosystem, interviewing young startups that have had some success and focusing on their origin stories. We also have on early-stage investors from time to time. We don't cover startup news, and we're not afraid to go into detail. This episode, we have on Idan Jan, who is CEO and co-founder of Funder, a platform that uses tech to provide easy and simple access to finance for SMEs in South Africa. The sound quality isn't our usual standard in this episode, but it's well worth sticking with because Idan gives us a taste of what it was like to start up and get rejected by investors around 60 times, and how it isn't all rainbows and unicorns. Talk about relentlessness. In psychology... The Dunning-Kruger effect is a term for the cognitive bias that comes from not knowing how bad you are at something. So the less you know, the less you know what you don't know. I.e., people that are really bad at something are more likely to think they're okay at it. Eden and I admit that this effect was what kept us both going early on when confronted by failure. With that, I give you Eden John. So, so Funder is a platform that provides easier access to finance for SMEs mostly, huh? Yeah, so, so, so Funder, basically what we've done is we've created um, probably the easiest and most seamless application form uh, for, for only SMEs. We want to target SMEs, you know, we, we believe that small businesses are the backbone to the South African economy and, and we believe the only way we can make a change is through providing funding to SMEs. You know, there's, there's such a big funding gap currently existing within South Africa and all the figures we have are actually pre-COVID. So pre-COVID, we were sitting with like 86 billion rand funding gap. Um, and that funding gap was, we were part of a research which was done by a company called FinFund. Um, yeah. It's actually an 86 billion rand funding gap of businesses out there seeking finance. So it's not... It's not even businesses that aren't looking for finance that might need finance. It's actually guys out there seeking finance, either from traditional and non-traditional lending institutions, traditional, um, I mean, like the banking, like the formal sector yeah, yeah. or government, government uh, grants, et cetera, or non-traditional, meaning the alternative like fintech lenders such as ourselves. Um, so there's a really big funding gap happening within South Africa that, that, um, the more the merrier that are coming to tackle this this funding gap, the more we can uplift our economy. Definitely, like it's actually it's actually performing a really good, valuable thing that you're doing in the world. You know what I mean? Like it's um, it's great. So that that stat is is not just people thinking they might. Yeah, it's people that have actually put in applications or what? It's actually people. Literally, it's people putting in applications into the market, whether it be government like NEF, CIFA. Uh, any of the formal banking institution, any of the alternative fintech lenders, uh, term lenders, invoice factoring, uh, merchant cash advances, asset finance, like so many different types of financing, but that's that gap. So, so we see, we see a big gap and, and the, the stats haven't even come out after COVID because I mean, we'll touch, we'll touch on it a bit further, but, but the, the, the amount of applications that we've seen filtering through our, our portals is as, as definitely sparked since pre-COVID times. Yeah, it's bad now, but it's going to be much, it's going to be even worse, you know. Um, your, I love your website, by the way, like super, super, like um, 
like uh, clean, you know what I mean? Super clean, super easy to navigate, like very transparent, you know what I mean? Like it's really nice. Um, I, and think, I think that, yeah, I think that was like one of, like a, a number one, I guess, priorities when developing like our website. And we just launched our, we call it Client Zone, uh, a backend portal, which actually like customers can navigate a lot easier on the back end. But on the front end, you know, from day one, we wanted like, we wanted a two click application process where mm -hmm. clients just can literally have a two step click and they're on our application form. Uh, we, we, we first started with an eight page application form. Now we're down to three pages. So we really, by, by stress testing our credit model and using past data to actually analyze what information don't we need and scraping it, scraping it on a continuous basis because we simply do not want to burden the SME owner with more things to fill in, more time to get a loan. I mean, we, we're trying to make it frictionless as possible. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, I'm just going to read out your core focuses, affordable, flexible, and transparent. And also um, what, what you see is what you pay. Get an answer the same day and access to capital in 24 hours. One of the, most, uh, one of the only flexible small business funders and payments can be made daily, weekly, bi-monthly, or monthly, you know, and that's, the website really speaks to all that sort of customer-centric simplicity, you know. So, so, what, we, so what, we, what we saw when we first, before we launched our product, and we did a bit of a market, market research, as one does before entering and actually building your own business, and we saw, we kind of segmented the market, the lending market, into formal and um, alternative Formal obviously has been the banking. Uh, the alternative has been our current competitors in the market. So what we saw on the formal side is that um, there were a lot of hidden fees, a lot of administration fees, origination fees, underwriting fees, collection fees that, that the client didn't actually know upfront going yeah. into the loan agreement, which actually it, it irritates a lot of people. Um, I understand, I do, now that I'm in lending, I actually understand why they have to charge all these costs. Yeah. But if you're a consumer, if you're an end consumer, you don't understand and you just land up getting irritated. Uh, it should have just been stated up front. And then what we saw from the, from the um, alternative lenders in the market that are now competitors, we saw that there were two methods. There, uh, there was other like daily collections from the merchant cash advance players. There was either a monthly collection from the like invoice factoring businesses. There was either, there was either like a like a strict weekly debit order from one of the guys. So we said like, why does it have to be so stringent? And again, I understand as a lender from the back end why they would do that because it's just on the admin side and on the back end side, it's just a lot easier to have one set product yeah. but but we 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 definitely didn't want to go that way and we wanted to provide and uh enable the flexibility and basically always put the decisioning uh final stamp in the sme owner's hand so what we said okay provide us with your uh, transactional data be it bank statements for example we'll actually internally run automated models and analyze the frequency of your cash flow so we actually analyze how often money's coming in, how often money's coming out on a daily, weekly, bi-monthly or monthly basis. And therefore we decide a debit order that would best suit your cash flow patterns. Because 
if you if you have money coming in every day, why not take a small daily debit order? If you, let's say a clothing store and you see a spike over the weekend from weekend sales, uh, let's say you, you, you transact all, over the weekend on a Saturday, Sunday, probably most banks bank on a Tuesday. Why don't we run a small debit order on a, on a Tuesday where most awesome. of your money's coming in? You know, um, yeah. if you, if you're a manufacturer, for example, and you get paid and you, and you get paid like 30 days from statement and you see that majority of your, of your debtors book is split like into two. Some most you pay you on the 15th, some most you pay you on the 30th. Why not run two debit orders that best suit your cash flow? So essentially a model is built to analyze past data and predict future data and kind of give us the most optimal collection uh, method that would best suit us in terms of risk of collecting our capital and and the small business owner in terms of um, cash flow you know cash flow assistance kind of thing yeah that's awesome by the way like that's really cool I mean <laughs> a stupid example but for me I remember at a gym membership or something and then they um, <clears throat> they debit ordered me at like exactly the wrong time in my cash flow and it never or didn't go through and like it was a whole big mission that I had to go and sort out. You know what I mean? That's, that's a stupid so example, that, but you know. No, no, but that, that's exactly it. So what, what, do, what do some of our competitors do? They say, okay, we're going to run a monthly debit order. Okay, at the end of the month. So what lands up happening? Um, a business would come, you would seek cash flow assistance for a, a plethora of different reasons, right? But let's say uh, he gets the, the cash and now first debit order comes at the 30th of the month. Now what happens at the 30th of the month? You've got to pay supplies. You've got to pay your creditors. You've got to pay your, your employees. You've got to pay your landlord. Yeah. But all these, all these debit orders get piled on at the end of the month. And the, the business that was seeking working capital only got a lifeline probably for a month or two. Because now this... Uh, lender that he got assistance from is also piling on a debit order at the end of the month. So it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, totally. That's, that's really cool though. Hey? Like, and, and sort of how scalable is it? It's probably, it's, it's algorithms, right? It's, um, it's code that does this or what? So, so there's, there's two things. Okay. So what, what happens a client would come onto our, onto our backend and he would fill in an, an application and it kind of goes both ways at that position, at that point, because we essentially run off transactional data. So we ask for bank statements. Now, we offer the client two ways. Um, the, we partner up with a company called TrueRD, which they actually uh, have, a, have scraping capabilities of the client's bank account. So if he actually gives us, not us, a third party, it's a company called TrueRD, if he gives the username and password into his transactional account, we can actually scrape just the information we need instant from the bank and, and not need him to upload bank statements. And I mean, that, that we, we download a file that's readable through our, our automated decision model. And that really happens like instantaneously. We can give a decision instantaneously. Awesome. Now, if they upload bank statements, it gets a little bit trickier because we have to take the raw, uh, the, <clears throat> not the raw, we have to take the PDF file, we have to convert it and we have to plug it in the model to kind mm -hmm. of see the affordability of that. So it, it's, it's, the decision is automatic, but there's some manual elements that we hopefully in the near future will, will move away from. But 
you know, people are, we're not really a trusting nation, you know, so people don't really like giving their banking, um, banking logins <laughs> yeah. to us, even though, even though we don't store it, you know, not at all. I mean, it all sits with, with a complete regulated uh, third party software that is like very, very secure. We don't, yeah. we don't get to, we don't, we don't see anything. We just see the data that we require, but I mean, I understand, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get it. Um, so all this kind of goes into the funder score. I saw that on the website. Yeah, yeah. So we have the funder score, which we pull over um, 100 different data points into our model. So the, the reason that we do that is we want to get a holistic view of the business. You know, we we believe that if we only look at traditional data, then we know different to the banks, then we are glorified bank. And we really don't want to be a glorified bank. We want to be more nimble, more flexible. We want to have higher approval rates. Yeah. Um, and we want to have a quicker disbursement. Um, right. I mean, in, in a lending business, there's, there's, there's four main costs that, that incur, that incur, right? There's the cost of capital. So how much it costs you to actually lend money on your own balance sheet. There's a cost like operational cost. How much does it cost you to actually run your business? There's a customer acquisition cost. So how much does it, does it cost you to actually acquire a customer? And obviously, like bad debts. So um, being, being a fintech lender, we have to differentiate ourselves with one of these four costs in order to differentiate ourselves and compete with the banks. Like cost of capital, we can never compete with the banks. The banks mm. get the cheapest source of capital, whether it's from the reserve bank governed by the repo rate or it's they're using deposits, um, mine and your deposit, for example, to further lend it on. So mm. we cannot compete with them. Um, customer acquisition is also quite tough for us to compete because the banks have all the transactional clients sitting in the environment and they can target them way, way easier and cheaper than we can do. Um, cost, and so we can, so we can, um, compete to them on two things. We can compete to them on operational costs. And how do we do that? By leveraging technology. We don't need to have as many warm bodies sitting, analyzing the data, and we don't have to pass those costs onto the consumer. Mm. And, and, and we can obviously do things quicker by leveraging off technology and cost of bad debt. So how do we, how do we build a credit model that has a lot more different data point we can insert into it to give us a higher conversion rate a and a lower default rate b so but also you're trying to you know master one specific thing before you expand if you if you ever do yeah sure so i mean expand um expand in terms of like product offering or expand in terms of yeah, product offering. Yeah, product offering. So, um, yeah, look, we have we have a few things like cooking in the back, in the back. You know, we are gonna try test a few products out there that are that are a little bit different to our core product offering. Um, but that is that is purely because we've seen a lot of businesses come onto our platform um and require different types of funding meaning we already acquire that customer it's already sitting within our environment but the product that we can provide to him doesn't really suit him mm. so we we are trying to like dabble in that because 
we've got the balance sheet. Um, we've got the customer. We understand how finance works. We, we just need to tweak a bit our, our models in terms of risk and, 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 and everything to, to kind of cater uh, for other different product, like financial product offerings to SMEs. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, we've covered a lot there already. Um, my actual questions that I wrote down, my set questions, um, you, you've covered them all by yourself, basically, you know. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's nice when, when a podcast guest is forthcoming and, you know, talks, you know. Um, but let's go over, like, the founding story, because I find that for early stage um, entrepreneurs, it's really nice, to, like, it's quite intimidating to see someone's business that already uh, up and running, but... Um, the founding stories, you know, shines a lot of light on the fact that not, not everyone has successes every day. You know what I mean? It's, it's been tough for most people to get off the ground. I'm just going to go through the dates. Uh, January 27, you, you initially put the idea to paper. And then July 27, uh, 2017, you, um, uh, the founding team, you established the founding team and began to focus full time on the business. At 2018, January, uh, you accepted... In, you were accepted into Alpha Code, which is an, an incubator run by Rand Merchant Bank, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like specifically for fintech disruptors, which is really cool. Um, and then yeah. June 2018, you went live. So that's the sort of bare bones structure of, of what happened. But I'm sure there's um, other stories you can tell, you know? Yeah. Uh, 100%. So, so my co-founder and partner is actually my best friend from school uh primary school high school university we were just best friends growing awesome. up <laughs> and what happened was he's I, I just went and studied a plain bcom in cape town he went the chartered accounting route so he's a ca uh he he studied in uj in johannesburg and then he went to grant thornton in america in manhattan so he was there for two years and I was actually like working for my brother's business and I was really, I, I, was, I was really not liking it. You know, it wasn't for me. I wasn't finding my feet. Um, yeah. I mean, I was, I was earning like a relatively good salary, but I wasn't happy. So Jared was experiencing the same thing overseas. He was, he was earning a very, very good salary, but he just wasn't fulfilled. He wanted to do something on its own. And then I went to the States one, um, I think it was June. Yeah, it was June, 2017. I went to the States and went for a beer. And then he was telling me how he wants to come back to South Africa and kind of start his own business. Now, in the meanwhile, at the back end, I was kind of putting this idea onto paper. It was kind of a different, it's different to where we are now. We had to pivot a bit um, because essentially uh, at first, we wanted to create like a peer-to-peer -peer lending business uh, and then regulations. And it's just, it's just a nightmare in, in South mm. Africa to pull a peer and a pure peer-to-peer -peer lender yeah. because <laughs> we need, we need, we needed a banking license because the FSB saw it as us taking deposits from people and lending them on, even yeah. though we were taking investments from people. And anyway, so that idea quickly got scraped. So, we started working on the idea probably like July, August, where it was, you know, both of us were in our jobs and this was kind of like an uh, after hour, after work kind of story where I would send him, uh, like I sent him like the business plan and it was like, 
if you look back on it today, it was, it's crazy to think we actually like quit our jobs over this idea. <laughs> but um, it was just like, a, it was just like a living document. You know, we opened like a Dropbox folder and then we would just share everything. I would send the business plan. He would like tweak it a lot, send it back to me. Then like, I would like tweak it, send it back to him. He would like, he would like create all these models and projections and like upload them. And then we'd do like market research and upload mm. them. Anyway, um, it was just like a side project, you know, and in like November, he came back to South Africa. And I think literally that month, like end of November, we up, he quit his job in like October. I quit my job in November. And we basically literally went, we literally went zero to a hundred from the first day, like from the first day we said, okay, we both quit our jobs. What we need to understand is that we are not, regardless of what's happening, we're not going to be drawing a salary for the next 12 months. That mm -hmm. luck is set in stone um, because the only way we can attract potential investors is by showing them that their money will be utilized to grow the business rather than pay for our expenses. That was like our mentality. We're like, we're not going to be raising money, uh, providing yeah. us a runway that will pay our salaries. Every single cent that we, that we make, that we raise, will be going straight onto our balance sheet and growing the business. Awesome. That's spot now, on. It was also a bit naive to think that two young guys with just an idea are going to raise capital because we, that was, that was brutal, man. We probably wasted like nine to eight months. Just, we got rejected like over 60 times, if I'm not mistaken wow. by investors. So we just went with this business plan and all these beautiful forecasts and projections and beautiful presentations and pitch decks. And we, we just did a roadshow. We just literally spoke to every single VC angel investor, private equity guys, anyone that we could get our hands on. We approached, we set up a meeting um, and sat, sat with them and kind of pitched our product. And every single person said no to us. It was like... <laughs> It was like, it's like you guys don't have anything. You have an idea. And even one, one investor like even went as far as being like, he opened his laptop in front of us. He went on to Google and he said, top uh, startup, top, five top startup ideas. And he's like, look, I've got five ideas kind of thing. Like just to show oh, us that yeah. we just have an idea. We don't have a working business. Um, yeah. and that was probably like, it, it was brutal and it was heartbreaking at first and it makes you doubt yourself and it makes you think like, like why aren't people investing in us? And you're also very biased. So it's like, why aren't people seeing what we see in kind of thing? Yeah. But, but um, that, that, that level of, um, you, you're not, you don't know that they're unknown unknowns. You know what I mean? Like you don't know what you don't know. So that, so you're overly optimistic. Um, there's a name for it and there's a graph someone drew up of it. But I mean, I think it's quite important to not be super realistic in the very beginning kind of thing. But, um, you know, it's, it's a balance, you know, if it's I too agree. realistic, I agree. you're never going to do anything, you know? Yeah, that's like exactly. me. When um, I started trading the markets, like I was just losing money, losing money, losing money, losing money, losing money for like two years or something. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. <laughs> And yeah, um, school fees, school fees. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You're paying the market. You know, you, you know, you're having your education. But um, 
if I didn't have that sort of level of like totally, you know, biased, unrealistic, um, you know, view view of my own capabilities, then I wouldn't have carried on. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, that kind of forced us. All those rejections have forced us to bootstrap up the business. So we literally took everything that we had in our bank accounts and we put it into the business. And we wanted to make sure that our business is profitable from day one. So we can attract investment because one of the downfalls of a lending business is that it's so capital intensive. Mm. So we didn't actually, we didn't understand or anticipate how capital intensive this business will be. So, and, and probably if we knew we would, we, we probably wouldn't have gone into this industry with the money that we had saved up because it's, you need a lot of capital in this business to actually make it worthwhile kind of thing. So, um, you know, but we were young, naive and optimistic and we just put everything that we had into this business and just started lending and kind of like proving our credit model, you know, right at the beginning, we were super manual. We were, we had like a Wix website for like 99 rand a month and we, we ran everything off Excel. So it was, I mean, our, our total overheads for the month were like 600 bucks, including bank charges and, and debit <laughs> order costs, etc. So it was like super lean and we just wanted to prove that our credit model works because we said if we perfect our credit model in Excel, we can convert it onto algorithms and, and, and put it as a, as a automated working environment on, on code. So we, we were quite adamant to show investors like a track record. And even though like after we traded, you know, for very long, we, we couldn't get access to funding. And what we did, every single person we met along our journey, we would put him on like, we would make a list, like an Excel list of saying uh, name, surname, email address, and date we met. And every month uh, we would do like, a, like an update of like our business and yeah. send it on an email being like this month we've we funded x amount our profit was x amount we've done back then like two three four deals this month uh two were returning customers we have a retention rate of 50 percent. just giving stats on the business and every month these investors would get all these updates and they would actually like grow with us it was actually quite amazing mm. they, they actually they were they were on the journey with us but they weren't invested and then you know along along the journey like two of the guys that rejected us at the beginning came along and they invested in us and then we got another angel investor and then we just got like investments on our side and yeah we've been growing ever since awesome um so so was there a point where you felt like okay now it's a step function to the next like we've actually got something like when, when did you have that feeling of like oh my word it's working um it's a good question uh we never we we never felt that because you your face is too close to the paper you know like even now (laughs) currently we're like you know like shit we're not doing enough we're not doing enough we could be doing more like it's it's always this you know and it always takes these like reflection points to look back and you'd be like shit you know like we we've done x y and z but when you're in it, you don't see it. Like like now, even we don't see what we do. You know, it's very, it's it's not good. 
but like i guess it keeps you pushing you know because if mm. you had to like sit and just pat yourself on the back every time you've achieved something it would waste time you know in achieving other things so yeah, yeah. i think i think with us we were never like we, our face was too close to the paper constantly and it still is um that, that's what reed hoffman says about linkedin you know um so many other business businesses they get their hockey stick um growth in revenue at a certain point you know um and yeah reed hoffman says linkedin never had that um that hockey stick growth it just had steady 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 compounding you know um yeah yeah because lots of people you know think about facebook you know um which is a, a serious outlier serious yeah i mean and and i think that's the problem like that was the initial problem with us as well you know you read all these books and you see all these things online and you basically through the internet you live in silicon valley and you're actually not yeah. you're still in south africa so you're expecting like these ridiculous pre-revenue valuations and these ridiculous metrics on how to value your company for investors and all these fancy um like investment metrics and but in reality it's like it's that's not reality you know yeah. you don't live in yeah. silicon valley like you're talking to south african investors they're very very cautious they do want minimum from our experience our experience minimum 12 to 18 month track record before actually investing in you in your business yeah, so yeah. like you and and that's what i tell like you know i speak to a lot of people that they like just approach me with like ideas and i'm like just start you know you have to start if it doesn't work you'll know sooner than later don't waste time like trying to seek all these like fancy investment because the other not going to come because you're like pre-revenue or they're gonna they're gonna give you like the sharkiest like valuations and an investment metric where like they'll want like 90 percent of your business up front with clawbacks to yeah and then they yeah. want to remain on like 45 it's just it's like it's not worth it you know yeah um yeah um your, your cap table is never somewhere where you want to be innovative you want to like there, there are standards you know what i mean there's like a standard way to do things and you should rather stick to that everyone has to it has to work for everyone you know yeah and and you just have to you have to build you have to justify the valuation that you want right because everyone thinks their business is worth x um okay if you look at the business's balance sheet it might not be worth what it actually is worth with the rp and everything but you need to prove that you need like a proof of concept right if you say you've developed the most amazing i don't know like software or not even a software like she's a stupid like example like a bottle of water like i've got the most amazing bottle of water <laughs> be like okay like does the market want this amazing bottle of water you know like if you go out to an investor and be like i've got this amazing bottle of water you know i've i've, I've i only had 20 of them i sold them within two days now i want money to buy 40 i can sell them over four days like then it's something to work with you know yeah. and people will be like okay like people know his brand this product actually there's a need for it in the market and my capital will be like growth generative rather than like throwing it down kind of thing you know totally yeah yeah um awesome okay cool so uh would you like so i normally have these other set questions there's a medium fire round of like uh 
10 questions. And then, then there's another round that I ask, which, which is 10, uh, like, no think, yes or no questions. Uh, would you like okay. to do both of those? Yeah, sure. So, um, which current developments give you hope for the future of humankind? Um, so, to answer that, I would say financial inclusion. Hmm. Must I elaborate on that? Uh, no, you don't have to. Um, okay. Name something you would advise super early stage founders to cultivate super early. Uh, go to market. Just go to market, get traction, get a proof of concept, generate revenue. Total recapitalization or shut your company down and start another? Oh, that's tough. Um, yeah, no, that's not a, sure. it's not a happy topic. <laughs> Um, and I don't actually know that. I guess it depends on the, on the business. I don't yeah, know. yeah. It, it, it yeah. depends is the right answer. What's the first good business book that comes to mind? The Lean Startup. Yeah, love that one. Um, yeah. Intelligence or relentlessness? Relentlessness, for sure. Intelligence you can hire. Yeah, yeah. What's the best piece of advice you've received? With regards to startups? Uh, go to market. That's what I've been told. Stop wasting your time trying to do all these fancy things. Just launch. Go just to market. Get traction. Generate yeah. money. Just go. Just launch. Just sell. Start selling. Whatever <laughs> it is that you have, you need to sell. Start yeah. selling. Okay. Um, if you weren't involved in startup land, what would you be doing? I can't actually think of anything else to tell you the truth. It's like, it's very exhilarating, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I yeah. wouldn't, I, I wouldn't choose anything else to tell you the truth. I'm saying it now, like, you know, I've had, I've had points in my journey where I was like, I just want a salary and I just want comfort and security. But now I can definitely say that, um, I don't want that, you know, it's like up and down Yeah. in the beginning. Okay. Um, Elon or Bezos? Oh, Bezos. Love him. Yeah, man. You're the first, you're the first one. You're, you're the first guest who said Bezos. Everyone else says Elon. And I do agree. Elon uh, is, more, is more like interesting, but like they, they haven't read um, that book, uh, The Everything Store. Have you read it? Yeah. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm busy on it now. That's what I'm saying. Uh, I read that I'm book. Busy on it. I read that book once a year, uh, at least. It's amazing. Like he's so, Darek is intense, though. Yeah, he's that's so. That's why I say relentless. Like he, exactly. he's very smart, but like that was that's he's like he's on another frequency. He's like yeah. very intense. But but both of them are super intelligent. But they can they yeah. like you see they have the intelligence, i.e. like, you know, the uh, 600 horsepower V8, but they can also put it down on the road. You know what I mean? They also have, you know, the good tires to put the power down, you know? 100%. I.e. execution. Um, okay. If you could have three founders dead or alive over for dinner, who would they be? Uh, um, definitely Bezos. Reid Hoffman and Peter Thiel. Awesome. Yeah, no, definitely me too. It would be Elon, Peter Thiel and Bezos for me, pretty much. Yeah, yeah.
Okay, cool. So now this uh, is a no think, you know, yes or no round. Uh, it's basically just yes or no. Um, there'll be a million people on Mars before we die. Nah. Work-life balance. Yes. The earth is definitely flat. <laughs> no. This statement is not, not a double negative. <laughs> yes. It was a bit unfair to put you on the spot like that. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> would you give up your eyesight to keep your hands? No. The iPod was more revolutionary than drones have been or will be. Yes. Wow, and everyone else says no. Um, one day, humans will not age past their prime. No. People should give up shaking hands forever. <laughs> no. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for coming on the, on the podcast, hey? Uh, thanks so much. Lacquer. Thanks, Chris. I'll, I'll come through next time in Cape Town. Awesome. I'll we'll let you know. In, in person one. Thanks, man. I appreciate it.